couple of corrections. This is week three, not week two of our series at the table. Uh, and we will be having uh, our midweek dinner the next two weeks because we're still in October. So this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock is casserole themed. So everybody bring your favorite casserole. Um, if you were here this past Wednesday night and we had Italian food and you enjoyed the discussion around the table, say amen. It was very interesting. It was very thought-provoking. And um, I myself left with more questions than I did answers, which is okay. Because then that kind of spurs us on to study on our own uh, throughout the week. We've just been discussing a lot of different things. Uh, this past week, like I said, we discussed um, atonement theories. Did Jesus really get beat up by God? Um, or do we just have we always just been taught that? Uh, and if God was a bloodthirsty God, he's just like any other pagan God. But he's not a bloodthirsty God. Uh, I want to acknowledge and welcome uh, our little buddy Odin in the back. Is he back there? He's in the bathroom. Uh, he, we've been praying for Odin, and he's been going to the University of Kentucky. Uh, thought that possibly they were going to remove a kidney, but he got new, great news this week that he doesn't have to have that kidney removed, and he's praising Jesus that he has two kidneys, and uh, he's here this morning. He came up front. He still has some pain uh, when he goes to the bathroom, and there's still some tests that need to be run, but we are going to continue to declare and decree that he is whole, well, and healed by the stripes that were beaten in Jesus' back. Amen? So will you remember Odin and uh, his family and keep praying and believing with him? Wendy's mom is still, there he is. Hey, Odin, we were just talking about you. Glad that you're here this morning and Jesus is healing you. Amen? I am too. <laughs> he wanted to come to church to see the Jesus man. He said, talking about me. I said, that's a pretty good compliment. You know? Um, Wendy's mom is still uh, not out of the woods, and uh, she needs prayer. And Alice's mom is still recovering from hip surgery and needs a lot of prayer. So would you pray with me this morning? And as you do, get your Bibles out, your smart devices, as we prepare uh, for the message. Uh, we're not going to beg and plead God this morning. We're going to declare and decree what his word already promises us. So, Father, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name for the healing stripes that were beaten into Jesus' back. And we believe that those stripes have been applied to every sickness and disease, every pain and every suffering of the body and in the mind this morning. We pray that you would send your word, continue to touch Wendy's mom and Alice's mother. And we thank you for what you're doing in Odin's life, and you will continue to heal his kidneys and make him whole, well, and healed. Any sickness or disease that's represented this morning by our families or even in the building or those watching online, we know that you're taking care of those. Before we even ask, you are sending the answer, and we believe that this morning. And so we walk in and we celebrate in victory this morning over answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's get our Bibles out. We're in Luke, the seventh chapter. That's been our launching pad the last Three weeks as we looked at the series at the table, we have learned that if you are at the table, like Zacchaeus was, that generosity is sparked from the table. 
We can learn the lesson of generosity from the table. We learned last week that grace is always on the menu at the table of the Lord. Amen. Come on, somebody. Condemnation is never served at the table of the Lord. One of the main purposes that Jesus came from his own mouth, he said, in chapter 7, verse 34, that he came, the Son of Man, eating and drinking. I believe that just speaks to us that he wants to have relationship and fellowship with us. Jesus stands at the door, and this is written to the church. He stands at the door and he knocks. It's interesting that he says that the invitation is if you will hear him knocking and hear his voice and open up the door, it doesn't say that he will come in and cleanse you of your sins. Now, we know that he does. Don't go out of here saying that. I don't believe that. We just celebrated the blood of Jesus by taking of the Lord's Supper together at the table. But the invitation that Jesus is offering and still offers today, if we will open up the door, and he says he will come in, watch this, and dine with you. I will sup with him and he with me. He, it is an invitation to relationship and fellowship. This morning we're going to look at um, the prepared table. The invitation has gone out, but there's a question. Will you sit at his feet or will you be distracted by busyness? Would you contemplate that as you turn to Luke the 10th chapter? Luke 10. The story of the parable of the Good Samaritan proceeds verses 38 through 42, which is where we're going to base our teaching this morning. But it is not insignificant that the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan precedes this. Go back later on this week and read that parable again. Put it in context with the story of Mary and Martha and the table. Verse 38, Now it happened... As they went, they entered a certain village. That village we know from other Gospels is Bethany, a six-mile journey over the hill uh, to Jerusalem. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now we know as we learned in um, the first week that when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your house, that that word guest Uh, indicated that he wanted to eat a meal with him and the tradition or the culture, the custom of that day was to recline. It wasn't sitting at a table with your feet under the table. It was reclining with your feet behind you and you had your head on the chest of the person next to you and looked like a bunch of dominoes had fallen over. (laughs) That was the custom. So when Mary or Martha welcomes Jesus, she's invited him to her house for a meal. She had a sister whose name was Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. and She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, kind of like Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> if you ever watched the Brady Bunch. That's all I could think of studying this week was Marsha, Marsha. 
Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed or necessary. Mary has chosen, underline this, the good part. And that will not be taken away from her. We've looked at generosity, we've looked at grace, and now we're going to look at the good part. Anybody like the good part? Do you know what the good part of every meal is for me? Dessert. Someone said last week that we left uh, the table with a heaping helping of peace, and that peace was the dessert. I thought that was good. Let's look at the characters of this story, and as we look at these characters, what phrase or image came to your mind when you heard me read this story? If you've heard this story before, what image do you have in your head? How are you picturing the master? How do you see Mary? How do you see Martha? Well, as we go through this this morning, what is the Lord trying to say to you about distractions in your own life? Because Martha was distracted, as the Scripture says. And what is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do, to change, or to be as you listen to this message? So we can see here that, as I said, Martha has invited Jesus to her house and Martha intended on having a feast for Jesus. But do you know that most scholars say that there were 70 to 90 people following Jesus and the scripture said that they went into the village. The they there uh, historically or contextually is 70 to 90 people. So she has a large task in front of her to prepare a meal for 70 to 90 people. How many of you have ever prepared a a meal for 70 to 90 people? See, one, two, three. Okay, we got a few people that have. I I have not. Uh, Taco soup on Wednesday nights fed about 10 people over there. (laughs) Uh, And I can give you the recipe if you want. (laughs) But her sister isn't helping with any of the preparations. We are going to see a sibling rivalry, sibling rivalry here, however you say that word. Mary is devoted. Now, the word devotion here indicates that she has dedicated her time and her attention attention to what? His words. She's seated, reclining at his feet. You know, you you can Google it, and most of the pictures that you're going to find, you're going to find uh, someone representing Jesus sitting down in a chair and Mary at his feet. And that's not the custom at all. They are reclining and she is at his feet and she's listening, clinging to every word that the master says. See, the posture of a devoted disciple is one of rest. Did you hear that? It's one of rest. But Martha is distracted. Her priorities are out of order. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted with all of the preparations. One translation says she was distracted with much serving. Can everybody just look at me for a second and let's just get it out of the way. I am in no way, shape, or form telling you that you are not to volunteer and serve within the local church. That's not what this message is about. I'm not trying to get you out of any work. Matter of fact, 
volunteerism across the, the world is declining, not just within the church, everywhere. Volunteer, we, we can't get enough volunteers to do the things that we need to do, uh, we like to do, or that we've done in the past because volunteerism is down. So this is not about not serving, but this is about having right priorities because a lot of times within the church, you can nod your head and agree that we have been distracted by much serving. Matter of fact, when I saw this word preparation, that she's distracted with all her, her preparations, man, it, it just ignited something in me that most of my adult Christian life, was may, I was making preparations to be ready and having my lamp trimmed and my oil filled so that when Christ came, I would be ready and prepared to go to heaven. How many ever heard that teaching? You got to be ready. You need to get prepared. And I was distracted from the good part. I believe that today's culture, many have taken on the Martha syndrome. And they've become distracted with preparation. If you listen to most of what people in the Western culture call the gospel, it's all about preparation for an event that's going to take place. But I would submit to you that Jesus has already prepared himself a bride. Read the scripture, folks. You don't prepare yourself. It says that he presents his bride without spot and without blemish. He did the work. If I can make myself holy and without spot and without blemish and preparing myself, then I don't need a Holy Spirit. But thank God that he sent the Holy Spirit. Can I get any help today? that he prepares us as a bride. But the distractions of this life will lead to anxiety. We have a generation full of people that are anxiety-ridden. We watch too much news and we get anxiety. We hear too many messages about what we have to do to be prepared I am not suggesting that there aren't things that we ought to do. There are many things that Paul admonishes us that we ought to do as believers. But those things that we ought to do are not in making preparations for ourselves. Those are things that we ought to do because he has already made a way. And they're done out of victory. But... Jesus said, Martha, you are worried, you are troubled. One translation says, you are full of anxiety. Why? Because she was distracted, and in that distraction from the good part, and in her preparations of much serving, she became very anxious. I know a lot of church folk that are anxious. I mean, we have a, a gospel mentality in America of escapism. What is that? We can't wait for God to come and get us out because it's getting really, really bad. Gas prices are up, inflation's up, interest rates are up. It looks real bad. There's wars and rumors of wars. But can I tell you that Matthew 24 was for that generation because he said this generation shall see these things come to pass. So either that generation is still alive 2,000 years later or that generation saw what he was declaring. So we are here to occupy, not escape. 
We should be about the Father's business, but we've been about too much busyness. Write that down. As my mentor, Dr. Howe, says, calm down. Slow down. Distractions can also cause you to think no one cares, especially Jesus. Especially Jesus. Not especially, there's no X in that. I'm trying really hard in my grammar to get it correct. But look at it. She says, Jesus, do you not care? So your, your anxiety and your distractions away from the good part will lead you to a place that you don't think that you have any value, that nobody cares for you, and that even Jesus himself doesn't care for you. Do you see that here? Because Martha is distracted from the good part. Now, she's preparing a meal, a feast, so that everyone can eat at the table, but Mary and Jesus are already at the table, and she's already feasting. No food on the table, but she's feasting. What is she feasting on? Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, because man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you believe Jesus is God? I do. And so the words that were coming out of her mouth, his mouth, were feeding Mary. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him because he does care for you. You can go to Jesus with your cares. Uh, Martha's going to do that here in a second. She's going to approach Jesus. But there's a problem when she approaches Jesus with her cares. Third, distractions misguide you to believe that you are all alone in your preparations and in your busyness. See, what, what did Martha say there? Jesus, can you not see that Mary's not helping me? I'm doing this all by myself. I'm alone here. And when you get distracted, the focus will get off of the good thing and you will put the attention on you. On you. You almost become a narcissist in the fact that you are, oh, I'm all alone in this. It's all about what was me and me. You're not alone. I, I was reminded of the story when I was studying this in the Old Testament where the, the servant of Elijah said, we're all alone, there's nobody with us. And he prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened and then when his spiritual eyes were opened that he saw the host of the armies of the angels of the Lord encamped around about them. You're not alone. We've got to get our... See, when we're distracted and our attention and focus is off of the good part, then we will miss and we will become lonely right in the midst of a crowd. Martha was working for the Savior. To her, she wanted to please Him with her gift of hospitality and cooking. Miss Susan is sitting back there on my right side, and she has the gift of cooking. I've never eaten anything that I didn't like that she cooks. From the breakfast she brings on Sunday mornings to her house, we have enjoyed and feasted of her gift. Martha had, a, I believe, a gift of hospitality and cooking. But the problem was she wanted to use that gift to please the Lord so that she could get affection and attention. But Mary had already found attention and affection from the Savior and was sitting at His feet, feasting on His words. Please stop carrying the burden of busyness. I'm going to preach to myself. I wish there was a mirror and Lisa would probably amen me. 
Stop carrying the burden of busyness. Doing, going, running, always having something to do. So many are performing and working for his attention and his affection that they've missed the good part. And again, working for the Lord, let me redirect you in that here in just a second. I'm not saying that we don't do anything. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created unto good works. But you don't do good works to find the Master's attention. Mary found the tension resting in His presence. Fourthly and lastly, the distractions will make you angry and disgruntled. The word disgruntled means dissatisfied, displeased, and discontent. And I have found many that have served the Lord faithfully in the church that are dissatisfied, disgruntled, and displeased. And do you know where they are today? They're not in the local church. And they have all kinds of excuses, but it boils down to that they got distracted from the good part. And because they were distracted, then they became disgruntled. And many are even angry. Now, hear my heart. And look at the platform. There's things missing. Because there's people missing. As a pastor, that breaks my heart. And not because there are things missing, but because there are people missing. And their attention and their folk, they got distracted from the good part. Whether it's in any church, it's in every church, some area or some people, some ministry has, has been looked over and left out because the focus was on the serving. They got distracted. Martha gets so upset with Mary that she's not helping that she becomes judgmental and critical. And she approaches Jesus. Thank God she had enough confidence that she could go to Jesus with her problem. Most of the time when we are disgruntled or angry, we go to somebody else and we start being judgmental and critical about the ones that we're angry at. But at least she took it to Jesus. But here's the problem that we have. Verse 40, she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Here's her problem. Tell her to help me. She took the problem to Jesus, but then she told Jesus how to solve it. Isn't that like a lot of our prayers? Jesus, here's my problem, but here's how I want you to solve it. We become so impatient sometimes with Jesus for not intervening in our situation the way or in the time and the manner that we want Him to. We want to correct him and show him how he needs to do it. Can I tell you that he does all things well? And everything that he does, he has your best interest at heart. His intentions are for good and a hope and a future for you. So we have to stop. When we become distracted, I've done it myself. I'll go to the Lord and I'll present him with my problem, but then I'll tell him how I want him to fix it. Like I know what I need best. 
but he knows. Listen, serving has become the core identity of the church to the degree that we have abandoned sonship for servanthood. Now, if people listen to that or see that on the screen, they'll think, well, we're not supposed to serve. That's not... We're sons who serve. We're not servants trying to become sons. But when you have the mentality backwards and your identity is found in your serving, you will be distracted. Listen, Jesus didn't scold Martha and he's not scolding you today. I'm not scolding you today. It's just the fact that our attention has been given to serving to a degree that we worship the service instead of our service being a part of our worship. Let me say that again so that it'll make sense. We've worshiped service. The service has become the object of our worship. We got to do this and we have to prepare that and we have to go over here and do this. And man, yes, all of those things need to be done. Someone had to prepare the communion bread this morning that you ate. Somebody had to put the juice in the cups today. I'm not saying that we don't serve, but if your identity is in that serving and you don't realize that you are a son, you will, you're going to see it here in just a second. So it is a matter of our attention and where we give that attention. If you have a pen or something to write with, or if you have a photographic memory, then memorize this this morning. Four quick things. Slow down. Sit down. Listen up so you can grow up. If all you are doing is serving, you'll never slow down enough to sit down and to listen up so that you can grow up. And unfortunately, we have a church, and I'm not just saying Grace Life, worldwide we have a church of spoiled brats that still have to be spoon-fed, burped, and diapers changed. Why? Because they're still on the milk of the word, and Paul says that it's time to move from the milk of the word to the sincere meat of the word. You have some teeth now. So it's time, and mama's saying, yes, please, it's time to start eating some meat. We never have been mandated, look at this, watch this, to work for Jesus. But we sure have been invited to work with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight demonstrates this especially in the Message Bible. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on servanthood or serving? I know that the word says religion, but religion does not focus on relationship. It focuses on your servitude. How much are you serving? Religion wants you to make sure that you are prepared Cross all of your I's, dot all of your T's, say amen the same way and hallelujah the same way, and we all will get to heaven because we're, we've prepared ourselves. That's religion, but what does it do? It wears you out, makes you tired, and people are burnt out on it. But Jesus says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest here it is, walk with me, work with me. 
He didn't say work for me. He said work with me. In another place in the Bible, it tells us that we are co-laborers together with him. That It doesn't say that we are working for him. We are working with him. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. See, if you are in a religion relationship, you are being driven by what you do. But when you are in a relationship with Jesus and he's given you your life back and you're resting in him, then it will be a natural flow out of the unforced rhythms of grace. And he won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He'll keep company with you and he'll teach you how to learn freely and lightly. Does anybody think that sounds like a good plan? Uh, yes, sir. Amen. Now let's jump back to Luke 10, verse 42. Martha's been distracted, but Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And this is the response that Jesus gives to Martha in all of her distraction. He says, Martha, only one thing, somebody say one thing, is necessary. Mary has chosen, I want you to underline this in your Bibles or circle it there, make a note of it. She has chosen the good part. And really what he says there, if we know the Greek, he's saying she has chosen the better part. He didn't scold Martha for serving. He said, but you, there was only one thing that was necessary here today. I didn't require a meal from you. I just wanted to sit at the table in fellowship and relationship with you. See, we can make all the preparations and be distracted from that good part when all Jesus wants is for us to be in His presence. He wants our attention and our focus to be on Him so that when we've chosen that good part, we will hear His words. And He tells Martha, I'm not going to take this away from Mary. I'm not going to make Mary get in the kitchen and start serving and preparing and helping. Matter of fact, I want you to leave the kitchen and I want you to come out here and sit at the table with me and just enjoy the fellowship and the relationship and listen to my words. What is that good part? Anybody interested in finding out what the good part is? I think we can find it in the context of the scripture if we look at what it says about Mary. Where did we find Mary in her devotion? Where do we find her? At the feet of Jesus. Reclining at His feet. It's a posture of rest. What's the good part? The good part's the rest. In the finished work. What is she doing while she sits at His feet? She's listening to His words. What are The word word here in the context of the scripture is the Greek word rhema. Has anybody ever heard that Greek word rhema? Okay. It's a spoken word or a saying that has a promise with it. It's actually the living voice. Commonly, it's used in the New Testament because Jesus was that living voice. And as he proclaimed those words, they were dynamic and they were living and they ignited faith in the hearer. That's the way it is today. Can I take you to Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 17? where it says that so faith comes from hearing, that's the good part, and hearing by the word of, what's it say in your Bible? 
Most translations say God, but the correct word there in the Greek is Christos. It's the hearing the words of Christ. Now, is that the words of God? Yes, because Jesus said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. But when he goes away, he said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit was to remind you of everything that I have said. So when we hear the words of Christ, it builds up and it ignites faith. The rhema word of God. Mary was content in resting in his words. She didn't get distracted by anything else. We don't have any recorded conversation. Mary didn't speak. She listened. And she was soaking up the words. So what is she hearing? John 6.63 says that it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So his words are spirit. What does that mean? His words are breath. It's a picture of the vital principle by which the human body is animate. In other words, God breathed into Numa, Adam, and Adam became animated. He was just a form. But when God breathed into him, Adam became animated. He became a living soul. And we hang on to, we should be hanging on to every word that Christ speaks because it imparts into us the breath of God. And then that breath of God, that pneuma, the Holy Spirit, then begins to give us energy, power, strength, knowledge, wisdom, everything that we need to be animated in the physical body. If I take the Spirit, the breath of God, out of your body, you're just a shell. You're an empty shell. You are a spirit. And Jesus was speaking the words of life and spirit, and Mary was clinging to those words. And as she did, it was invigorating her. It was igniting faith in her. She was building up her spirit man. How incredible was that? But he doesn't stop there in John 6, 63. He says they are both spirit and life. They are pneuma and they are zoe. I love the word zoe. That's probably one of my favorite Greek words. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If I ever do get a tattoo, it's going to be zoe, the life of God. Because what the zoe is, it's both present life, physical, and future spiritual existence. It's all of the life. It's the life of God. See, the source of life is life is God Himself. You can't... He and He alone gives life. It's the fullness of life involving quality of life on the planet. I call it abundant life. That's what Jesus said that He came to give. And not only abundant life with quality here but future implications of quantity life for eternity. That's Zoe. What we've done is we've taken one half of that and we've called it eternal life and then we've told people what they have to do to continue to retain the life that Jesus gave to them as a gift
and you have to always be preparing yourself. People, <coughs> excuse me, get distracted, and in that distraction, they become anxious, they become disgruntled, they become judgmental, they become critical, and then they are spinning their, their wheels in a religious hamster wheel trying to prepare themselves but always perpetuating more work on themselves. But Jesus said, fine, rest at my feet. Cling to my words which are spirit, breath, and they are life. And I will go on to say that what Jesus did at the cross guaranteed anyone who would believe what did he say in John 3.16? Whosoever believes on me shall have everlasting or eternal life. That's life after the grave. That's the quantity of life that you receive the moment that you believe. Eternal life begins and the deal is done. The work is finished. When you believe, it was finished when he said it was finished. But As you believe, then you begin to receive the benefits of being secure as a believer, to know that part of the Zoe life, the future implications are taken care of. That's a burden. Relieved. I can relax. I can rest. Now I can begin to have quality of life. You don't have to show me your hands or even nod your head, but do you know any Christians that look like they've been sucking on dill pickles their whole life? Or they just took a big uh, lemon head bite and all that sourness got in their mouth. It's because they don't believe that when Jesus gave them eternal life, that he really gave them ex- eternal life. They, they believe that Jesus died to give them another set of rules so that they could work their fingers to the bone and become frustrated, burnt out, tired, and worn out, and then hopefully, maybe, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. So they don't have any quality of life as a Christian. The good part that Mary chose was to sit at the Master's feet, resting in His presence, and drinking on every word that came out of His mouth. She was drinking living water. She was receiving life. She was receiving the breath, the pneuma of God. And it caused her soul to be at rest in a place of security about the afterlife so that she could enjoy life here and now. Listen, folks, I know, believe me, I have... People tell me all the time, we've had people that have even left our church because they believe that when they hear me speak that they can just go out of here and live any way they want to live, and that's not what I'm preaching. Matter of fact, the grace of God gives you empowerment to live the godly life and say no to ungodliness. So when I'm preaching grace, I'm preaching Jesus, I'm preaching to follow the Spirit of God that is in you because He's given you an indwelling Holy Spirit, but that should give us confidence, peace, and rest in knowing that my laboring has ceased to try to uh, get my name written in the citizenship book of heaven, that it's already a done deal, so that I can now begin to live what Jesus said that He came to give, abundant life, the quality of life on the planet.
Listen, the one thing isn't the next task, Frank, if you'll come, on your to-do list. That, that's not the one thing that Jesus was talking about. The one thing isn't serving others. Mm, I can cringe at that one. I mean, it's really not about serving others, even though we serve others as we serve Jesus. The one thing that we are missing out on, and Mary chose that good part, that one thing, is enjoying Jesus. Just enjoying Jesus. When I studied this, it's incredible to see that Luke takes us on a journey with Jesus. If you'll read Luke, the first chapter, it's the announcement of Jesus' birth. In the second chapter, it begins to talk about when he was born. And then you just follow the journey of Jesus into his public ministry after his baptism. And then after his baptism, it begins to show you some of the villages and the cities and the synagogues that he went to and how he was teaching and what he was teaching and the meals that he ate with Pharisees in their home and the tax collectors as he journeys from city to city. We get to chapter 10 and it says that he enters into the village of Bethany. He's on the journey. 70 to 90 followers. We know he had at least 12, right? Because they went everywhere that he went. And Martha invites them into her house. But is she really enjoying Jesus? We know that Mary did. She's seated, seated at his feet, resting, looking in his face and drinking whenever she was enjoying Jesus folks I don't believe that you have to wait till you die to have joy <laughs> because the posture of the devoted disciple is seated drinking on his works um, what a tension that we have between that one thing that good part enjoying Jesus and serving can I tell you how this tension can be loosened a little bit how we can let the pain of that tension out a little bit our mentality has to change that I'm not serving to prepare myself or to please Jesus or to get something from God but all of my servanthood comes out of enjoying the rest in His presence so that I have energy, I have vitality, I have strength, I have power. And then out of all that He's poured into me and enjoying sitting at His feet, it's a joy to serve others. See, I, I can never have the strength, the power, the vitality to serve God out of my own strength. Why? Because what ends up happening is I become distracted. It leads to anxiety. I start going to Jesus with my problems and telling Him how to fix them. I feel alone. I'm judgmental towards others. See what religion does to you? See what being distracted by all this preparedness? It's such a... We, we've come into Christianity with the scales of the law. See, even today that lawyers have these scales of judgment and they try to the, the whole goal is that your good outweighs your bad but the scales of the law have nothing to do with the new covenant 
Jesus threw those away. He destroyed them. He fulfilled it. So now that our joy comes in finding rest in His presence, drinking on and feasting on Jesus, the Lamb, the living water, who He Himself said in John 6, 63, My words that I have spoken are both spirit and life. Do you know three verses later, it says many left Him to follow Him no more. That's incredible that he makes a simple statement. He also makes the statement in the context of John 6 that, and Lisa made reference to it this morning, that unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. What are we doing at the table? We're feasting on his body and we're drinking of his blood. You sound like a bunch of cannibals. No, it's symbolic of what he did for us so that we can enjoy Jesus on our journey. If you stand with me this morning, I want to take you back to one of the first statements that I made this morning. It's three questions. As you stand to your feet and you just begin to worship Him right now in His presence, what image has come to your mind this morning as we told this story and we read this text? What what have you learned about your own distractions in your own life from that good part? And right now as we prepare to sing, What is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do to change or to be as you've heard this message this morning? Contemplate that. Respond as the Holy Spirit tugs on your heart and we'll pray together here in just a moment.